What's up, everybody? Welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. Today, we are going to be talking about self-discipline and why self-discipline is the answer to all of your problems. So we've talked about self-discipline in the past, did a series on it, and yet I still believe that it's going to be many episodes until we get to the point where we actually understand why self-discipline is so important. Because still and moving forward for the foreseeable future, future, society will tell us that self-discipline is the bane of your existence. Society will tell us that having control over yourself is no fun, that it is no good, that it will not let you enjoy life, and that you'll end up a zealot if you end up with too much self-discipline. And while there is, of course, an argument for having literally having too much absolutely unnegotiable self-discipline, I, nobody is even close, at least 99% of the world. So if you're using that as an excuse that you don't want to have too much self-discipline, trust me when I tell you, and I don't know who you are, but trust me when I tell you, you're not close, your friends aren't close, your family's not close, no one's close. No one's close to having too much self-discipline. I don't even think that I'm close to having too much self-discipline, and most people say that I have too much discipline. So take that with a grain of salt. At any rate, um, first, before we jump into it, I do want to remind you that if you're ready to get yourself on a self-discipline path, if you are ready to get get yourself in a self-controlled path where you're making changes, sustainable behavior modifications to your life so that you can get yourself moving forward. We have an absolutely free resource for you to jump into. If you go to Facebook and type type in Good Wolf Community, that is our community of online uh, people that you can surround yourself with, a bunch of people just like you trying to make changes, trying to make behavior changes, trying to improve their lifestyle, trying to overcome obstacles. And all of our coaches here at Thrivology are in there giving you daily activities and daily strategies that you can do to make those changes not only simple, but hopefully somewhat painless. It all takes effort. Not at all is it easy per se, but there are more effective and more efficient ways to do that. So make sure you jump on our free Facebook group, Good Wolf Community, so that you can get your discipline on track. A couple of other things you need to get discipline on track is are eliminating beliefs about discipline. So society has completely torn the idea of self-discipline apart. Society, like we, we almost frown upon people who have lots of self-discipline because we look at a person who is a disciplined person and we point at them and we say, well, that person doesn't have any fun in their life or that person is arrogant or that person is egotistical or that person you know, whatever. They just, they just don't know how to enjoy anything. We look at that, and whenever we hear words like that and we hear phrases like that, and we frame it in such a way that is negative and doesn't sound enjoyable and doesn't sound fun, then yeah, of course, it's not something that you're going to want to pursue. But it's because society has bought into the lie that self-discipline is this negative thing that we are currently in the state that we're in. If you cannot recognize that the vast majority of society is diseased, whether that is biologically diseased with chronologic, 
chronological, <laughs> chronic, with chronic diseases, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancers, hypertension, or that's musculoskeletal diseases or issues. That's something that we're, we haven't seen the beginning of. I did an episode last week about that. We talked to Dr. Steve Hannigan from Performance Chiropractic last week. That's another thing we haven't even scratched the surface of is musculoskeletal diseases and how they're going to impact our health. I think we won't see the impact of that for another decade or so at least, maybe a couple decades. So chronic diseases are just one aspect of our health that is showing that we have no self-discipline. Musculoskeletal diseases is going to be the next one. A lot of people are already having them. Knee replacements at the age of 45 and 50, shoulder replacements, the amount of elbow issues that we see here because of people, we call it mouser's elbow, basically like having your hand on the mouse because it's most people's right arm, which is everyone's mousing arm. Um, anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but my point is like our belief that self-discipline is this thing that is going to turn us into a zealot has led us down this path, has led us down a disease path where obesity is running rampant. All of these chronic diseases are taking people over. Musculoskeletal disease is starting to kick in and become a significant issue for people at such an early age, 40 years old. People are having musculoskeletal issues. That shouldn't be the case. And yet we look at it as normal. And because we look at that as normal and we look at society as like, we just look at society as it is. And we think that what around us is normal. And we look at somebody who's quote unquote self-disciplined and we think that they're the bad person and that they're the unnormal person. Well, they're actually, um, my argument is they're the normal person. Like if you go back 60 years, 1940s, 1950s, and you go back to that time frame, that's what you saw. Like most of society in the 1940s and 50s was self-disciplined. Most of society back in World War II, right around the World War II time, like most of society was self-disciplined. Most of society, they were taught in school to be self-disciplined. If you look at PE classes from the 1940s and 50s, much different than if there are even, even PE classes today, much different, much more structured, much more purposeful. If you look at the way treated, people treated their work, if you look at the way people treated their families, if you look at the way people treated society and neighbors and all of this, in a much more structured, much more respectable, much more disciplined way. But because we now have gotten to the point, because we are, it is shoved in our face that being disciplined is bad. And it is shoved in our face that having a structured body is a bad thing that we buy the lie, we believe the lie. And so we don't allow ourselves to develop any kind of discipline, any level of discipline. But the idea of discipline being the thing that you need to solve your problems has been around for millennia for so long, for thousands of years, for thousands of years. The Stoic philosophers, 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 
created the four uh, virtues of Stoicism. They're the same virtues for many other ideas of philosophy as well, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they're, you know, terribly unique. But I believe Stoic philosophy was probably one of the first ones to lay out these cardinal virtues, if you will. So for Stoicism and for many other religions and philosophies, the four cardinal virtues are courage, justice, wisdom, and temperance. Courage, justice, wisdom, and temperance. Now, some of these aren't words that we use regularly today. So the one that we're talking about when it comes to discipline, what we're talking about is temperance, our ability to temper our actions. I'm going to read a quote from Marcus Aurelius. If you don't know who Marcus Aurelius is, I strongly suggest that you pick up his diary to himself, meditations, literally his diary to himself, um, that just so happened to survive a couple of thousand years, and we just so happened to have it and keep it, and now we print it, and we get to read a Stoic philosopher and a king of Rome's thoughts to himself that as he was living life and how, how he was trying to um, keep himself tempered and how we can see that a king, a king had so many struggles, the same struggles that we have today, getting out of bed on time. He reprimands himself for staying under the sheets and not getting out of bed. Uh, he talks about having trouble dealing with people and how people can be annoying. And I, that's going to be the hardest thing for me to do today is have to suck it up and deal with Lucilius over there. I don't really know if that was his friend's name, but that's the one that popped off the top of my head. So, like, th this idea of having self-discipline in so many aspects of our lives is not new. If a king of Rome 2,000 years ago can struggle and yet still develop himself into a person as he's ruling an empire, literally an empire, then you can do the same thing as you're ruling your own internal empire. Because that's really where it starts is learning to rule your own internal empire. If you can't learn to do that, we all like to control everybody else around us. We all like to blame everything outside of us. We like to point fingers at situations and people and experiences. And that's why I'm like this. And it's because of this person over there. And guess what part? I mean, yeah, true, fine, true. It's true. And yet, what are you going to do about it is the question. The question isn't whether or not it's true. If someone's in your life, yeah, they affect your life. Certainly they are. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And creating your own self-discipline is the major answer to that question. So this quote from Marcus Aurelius um, gives, us a, gives us an idea of his thoughts about self-discipline and the kind of structure that it can bring to your life. So Marcus says, if you seek tranquility, do less or do what's essential, what the logos of social being requires and in the requisite way, which brings a double satisfaction to do less better because most of what we say and do is not essential. If you can eliminate it, you'll have more time and more tranquility. Ask yourself at every moment, is this necessary? So what Marcus is talking about here and how this relates to self-discipline is eliminating the things in your life that just 
that just don't need to be there. So many of us are worried about keeping up with the Joneses. We're worried about scrolling through Facebook and Instagram to see what's going on in the world and to keep up with everything. And I got to stay on top of things and I got to make sure I know what's going on. We're worried about having all the gizmos and gadgets. We're worried about having the newest phone. We're worried about having the newest car and all of these things. So part of discipline is learning to eliminate the things that you don't really need in your life. This isn't to say that you shouldn't strive to have abundance in your life, but there is a difference between striving to have abundance in your life, which all of us should strive to have, and just having crap for the sake of having crap for trying to keep up with people. So part of self-discipline and the reason that it creates tranquility in your life, happiness in your life, and ultimately fulfillment in your life is that it teaches you to eliminate the nonsense. It teaches you to reduce the stuff that you don't need, that you don't that you think you want only because the rest of the world has it or it seems like the rest of the world has it. So it teaches you to do that. But it also teaches you to simplify things. Self-discipline really does because we in life, you're either striving for instant gratification or you're striving for delayed gratification. Most of what we're sold is instant gratification. As you scroll through Facebook, it is Facebook and Instagram, any TikTok, all of them. They're built for instant gratification. They'll, they're built to get dopamine hits very quick. You see a picture, it, makes you, it gets that dopamine hit, feels good. If you put a post out there, you get likes, it feels good get comments, it feels great. Like that's what it's built for. Instant gratification, just to instantly give you that hit of dopamine so that you want to come back and you want more. So is everything else in life. Foods are literally manufactured and created in such a way to hit what the food industry calls the bliss point. The bliss point is the perfect point, the perfect combination of either sweetness or saltiness or fattiness or savoriness so that you become addicted to it and you get that instant gratification feeling. So every time you feel bad or every time you feel the urge to have a candy bar, you just get it and you grab it and you eat it. But instant gratification, those are just two very simple examples. We also strive for instant gratification in our fitness. We want results in six weeks. We want, whenever we change our diet, we want our you know, we want to lose 20 pounds very quickly. We want to be able to run a four hour marathon sooner than later, which is fine. Sooner than later is fine. But what's your duration of time? So on average, if you're striving for instant gratification, you're being, you're going to end up being let down and you're going to end up being a failure in the long run. And you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to look back and you're going to go, man, I just, sh I should have been more patient with myself. I should have been more patient with these things. I should have been more patient with my progress. Not that I should have gone slower. There's a big difference. You need to go as fast as you can, but be patient with the progress. And when you strive for instant gratification, you generally don't make any progress because you're too damn busy trying to make it as fast as possible that you burn yourself out and you don't end up getting anywhere. On the other end of it is delayed gratification. And if you, the people that you see around you that you think have this stone cold discipline are, they love delayed gratification. They have, they have taught themselves to endure create delayed gratification, if you will, because part of self-discipline is 
reducing the messiness, reducing the unnecessary stuff and the unnecessary actions in your life that are moving you away from your goal so that you can move faster towards your goal. Because for a lot of people, for a lot of things, you need to take the break off first and then put the accelerator on. Because a lot of people are doing so much, so many dumb things, so many unnecessary things, so many things that are moving them away from their goal that even if you start to try and pile on things that are helpful, like exercise, if you have this host of things over here, these five things that are as unhealthy as they get, and then you pile on exercise, you might get a little bit of results, but it's not going to be much and you're going to end up quitting because you're, you're putting on the brakes with all this other crap. So the people who are striving for delayed gratification and they're good with delayed gratification and they know that their results are going to come, but they're going to work as hard as they can to get there. What they're doing first is sifting away all the crap. They're taking away all the unnecessary actions that are keeping them from moving toward their goal, that are keeping them from going forward. And once they take some things away, then they start to figure out what they can start to put in. Sometimes it's not that exact way. Sometimes they put things in first and then they figure out, Hey, I got all, I got, I got brakes on over here. I need to unload my brakes so I can let myself fly. But being self-disciplined partly is simplifying things in your life, reducing the things that are keeping you from making progress and then adding the things that can accelerate your progress. And that's, another big part of self-discipline, and that's what Marcus Aurelius is telling us. So it's worth remembering what self-discipline actually is so we can wrap our minds around it again. Because, again, we think that self-discipline is this magical thing that, you know, only certain people have, which it seems that way because those people have built it and made themselves into that person over a period of time. But self-discipline is it's just two things, basically. Number one is ego depletion. Number one, number two. Number two is glucose depletion. Um, ego depletion is very simple. And when I get to the end of this, you'll, it, it's also kind of made up. But ego depletion is, uh, I want to say this idea comes from Roy Baumeister. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's where it comes from. Uh, ego depletion is basically the psychological depletion of yourself that happens over the course of a day or time over the course of time because of all the choices that you make, because of all the temptations that you have to overcome, because of all the decisions that you make, and so on and so forth. And basically, the more that that happens, the more decisions you make, the more choices you make, the more temptations you have to overcome, the more tired you get, the harder it is to kind of keep your discipline going and be a self-disciplined kind of person, which is partly true. However, it's also not true at all. And here's why. Let me take a drink from uh, my nice Thrivology cup first before we go. So ego depletion is, is also made up. And here's how it's also made up. So it's partly true that that happens. As you make decisions, as you go through a day, and as you overcome temptations, you walk by things and you have to say no to them and so on and so forth. Like, yes, psychologically what's happening is your ego 
if you will, your willpower, your self-discipline is slowly coming down because the more of those temptations that you have to overcome, eh, kind of the harder that it gets. And yet, more recent research has shown that your mindset about ego depletion or about self-discipline actually dictates more what happens. If your mindset is that your self-discipline goes down as you go through the day and you make a bunch of decisions and you overcome temptations, if that's your mindset, that that's what happens, then that's what will happen. At the end of the day, it will be harder for you to overcome a temptation than at the beginning of the day if you believe that to be the case. In other words, if you believe that your willpower, your ability to say no, depletes throughout the day because of all the decisions that you make, that's what happens. And if you believe that that's not the case and you believe that you can keep yourself disciplined throughout the day, and if you believe that your willpower stays up and stays high, and if you believe that at the end of the day, you can overcome a temptation just as easy as you can at the beginning of the day, then guess what? That's what happens. So while it's partly true that ego depletion is a thing, your belief about ego depletion and your belief about what your self-discipline is like throughout the day matters more. So it begins by changing your mindset about what self-discipline is and then believing that you can maintain your self-discipline throughout the day if you choose to, if you choose to. It, become, it, it starts with moment-to-moment decisions. It's not just the big things. It's actually usually the small things, not usually. It's actually the small things that add up over time that builds your self-discipline and builds you into the kind, kind of person who has the self-discipline to overcome temptations. But if you don't start with the mindset and you don't begin it, begin with understanding that your belief about what's possible is what's going to dictate what happens, you're going to have a much harder time. So on the other end of that is glucose depletion. Glucose depletion is a purely biological thing. Again, as you make decisions, as you go throughout the day, as you overcome temptations and so on, it takes energy to do that. It literally takes energy and that's in the form of glucose. <clears throat> glucose. My voice is cracking today for some reason. <laughs> I guess since I'm getting close to 40, I'm hitting another level of puberty. I don't really know what's going on. At any rate, so that comes in the form of glucose. That's where you get your energy from as you're making these decisions and so on and so forth. So literally, as your glucose depletes, your energy level will go lower and it will feel like it's harder to overcome temptations. Again, partly real. And yet, at the same time, your mindset about your self-discipline and if it, if it is depleted will dictate how much glucose you have. So here's the goofy thing and here's the magic of the human body. When you believe that your self-discipline becomes depleted throughout the day, your body will hold back glucose. It will give you smaller amounts of glucose because basically because of deprivation. You believe because you believe that your discipline and your self-discipline and your willpower are depleting so much throughout the day, it's going to hold some back 
because it wants to hang on just in case there's a crash. It wants to hang on to those glucose stores just in case something bad happens. So it's only going to give you little bits and pieces. So that means really your glucose levels are going to drop faster, but it's because your body's holding storage of glucose back. On the other end of that, if your belief is that your discipline is unlimited, you can have discipline at four in the morning just as much as you can at four in the afternoon, then your body literally will let loose more glucose. You'll have more glucose, more energy available, even if it is more depleted at the end of the day, technically speaking, you have more energy because your body is letting it go. Your body is not, because you're not in a mentally deprived state, your body's giving you the energy that you need. So changing your mentality and your belief from a limited mentality to an abundance mentality, I have an abundance of self-discipline versus I have a limited supply of self-discipline, will literally open up the floodgates of glucose and give you more energy. That has been shown. It's not proven. It's not proven. Nothing in science is proven. It's just how often is it shown. And that is one thing that has been shown pretty regularly in the research. So that's what self-discipline is. It's a mindset and it's a biological process. And your mindset about those things, literally both of them, dictates how much of you, how much of either one of them you get. So let's take a second and look at the example, look at two examples to see how these disciplined people get to where they're, they are. Uh, we'll look at a fit person and we'll look at a wealthy person. So if you look at a fit person, they look in shape, they have a good body structure, they're probably eating, you know, clean foods 90% of the time, they probably exercise three to five days a week, they probably get at least around eight hours of sleep. They don't drink any, if many, calorie-containing drinks. That means no soft drinks. That means no foo-foo coffee drinks. That means no sports drinks, nothing like that. So mostly water, coffee, plain coffee, tea, plain tea. What else? They probably, you know, maybe they go on regular walks throughout the day or throughout the week. You know, that's, that's a handful of things that most people look at a fit person and they go, they, they think that those are the things that they do. And they're probably right. Eating healthy 90% of the time, exercising three to five days a week for about an hour at a time, getting eight hours of sleep, drinking only or mostly water, and not having basically any sugary drinks at all. That, those habits alone would bring somebody from, I don't know, mediocre health to optimal health very quickly. From the wealthy person side, what do we assume a wealthy person does? Well, what a wealthy person does is they make decisions about their, where they're spending their time differently than most people. They probably take care of themselves as well. They probably exercise regularly. They are making decisions on their... Mm, I'm losing it. 
All right. So I'm going to start back at this example thing, and I'm just going to do the fit person because I didn't think this through very well. All right, so let's look at an example of what a self-discipline looks like in action. So we're going to take the fit person that you can imagine. Maybe you have a fit person in your life, but you can pick up your nearest health magazine and that person is who we're talking about. If you look at that person, here's the habits that they probably have. They probably exercise three to five days a week, about an hour at a time. They probably eat healthy foods 90% of the time. They probably get about eight hours of sleep and they probably drink only water, which means no sugary drinks, no soft drinks, no fruit drinks, no sports drinks, no foo-foo softy drink, softy drinks, coffee drinks, <laughs> nothing like that, only water. If they do drink coffee, it's probably just black coffee. If they do drink tea, it's probably just plain tea, unsweetened tea. That's, those are their habits on average. So someone, average people in society will look at that and they'll go, well, that just doesn't sound like any fun. That just doesn't seem like anything. And I don't even know how I would even begin to get there. I don't know how I would start to exercise like that or eat good or eat, sleep that way or um, uh, get rid of my soft drinks or get rid of my latte or this, that, and other thing. So they just block it out of their head out of their brain that they could even do it because they've already convinced themselves that it's not possible because they look at all of these different things that are, that this person has built and they just think that, uh, well, they're just an anomaly. They just are an outlier. That's just, they're just lucky because it's their genes or they're just a self-disciplined kind of person. And that's not like me, whatever the, whatever the excuses are, whatever the excuses are. And they're, they are abundant, by the way, those excuses are abundant, but there, there are just three basic things that this person has done differently than the rest of society. Just three basic things. And, and, and if you do these three basic things, and you do them, and you start them, you're not going to do them perfectly in the beginning, but you slowly implement them, and you change them, and you adapt them over time, then you too can be that person. And what you'll realize is that having that amount of freedom to be a disciplined person, which seems ironic, but it is very true, having the freedom to be disciplined, because then you're not distracted by all the other nonsense, because you've eliminated everything. You're going, I'm not paying attention to anything on this side. I'm only paying attention to this. I say this side, really, it's just a fraction of stuff you pay attention to. So that's why you get freedom, because you eliminate everything else. It's not important. You don't need it. Three things. Number one, goals and planning. That person, that fit person, had a goal. They started with some goal. Who knows where they started? Who knows why they started? But we can make it up. Maybe they just started with a simple goal. I want to I lose some weight. I want to lose 20 pounds. Maybe it started with that. And then they planned out how to do that. They started to plan it out. And while they started to plan it out, they started to take action. That's important. It's not like they planned it out and then planned some more and then planned a little more and then said, I'll get to it Monday or I'll get to it next week or I'll get to it next month. They planned it out, 
pretty quickly and then took action. And by plan it out, I mean laid out a couple of foundational rules, okay? To, go, to, to hit this goal of losing 20 pounds, I'm going to work out three days a week and I'm going to start to have protein at every meal and I'm going to eliminate soft drinks. I'm going to do that. Bam, planned it out and now I'm going. Now I'm taking action, okay? That's step one. Set like having a goal, something that you're moving toward, planning to some degree, setting some sort of idea of what you're going to do, and then starting to do it quickly. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, and damn well not next year. Not next year. Because if you keep putting it off, you will continue to be the kind of person that puts it off. Once you because if that actually happens, if you say, I'm just going to wait till next year, and then you actually start, you will quit. Not because you're a failure, not because you're a bad person, but because you have already convinced yourself that it's not worth it because you didn't start today. I must knock my water over. <laughs> so goals, planning, and then immediately into action. Next. They paid attention to their environment. They paid attention to what's around them and then how they respond to what's around them. That makes sense. But here's a couple of examples. Number one, at your house. Most people spend a lot of time at their house, and that's where a lot of people get in trouble when it comes to nutrition, for instance. Because we have trigger foods. And for a lot of people, trigger food is potato chips. And if you have three bags of potato chips at your house and you're trying to stop eating potato chips, guess what you're going to have a hard time not doing? Eating potato chips. There we go. There we go. Thank you, John. I appreciate you playing along with me. If you're sitting at the TV and normally you have a bag of chips with you while you're sitting at the TV, that habit is going to be hard to break if you know that those potato chips are there. It's going to be hard to break. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're, you have no self-discipline. It doesn't mean that you don't have any willpower. It just means you have not set your environment up for success. That's all that it means. So part of it is literally changing the environment around you. If you have trigger foods, get rid of those trigger foods. That means if you want them, you have to drive and get them. Which if you really want to do that, then okay, do it. But then you got to drive to get it. Uh, that also potentially means environment as far as the people around you. We talk a lot about surrounding yourself with like-minded people, how important that is. Good Wolf Community, that's why you should join Good Wolf Community if you're wanting to make a change in your life if you have not already. By the way, shameless plug, join Good Wolf Community on Facebook. That's why you do that. Sometimes that means saying forever or for some amount of time, goodbye to some friends or, or family members for that matter. It's hard to do, but just because you are a family in a family with somebody doesn't mean that you have to be around them. It sounds harsh, but it's the truth. If you're around them and you do things that are moving you away from your goals when you're around them and you're around them often, then guess what you shouldn't do? You shouldn't be around them. If you have a group of friends that normally goes out 
every weekend and maybe once or twice during the week, and you're trying to stop doing that, guess what you shouldn't do? Be around those friends. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean that you think you're better than them. It just means you're trying to make changes in your life. And if you're going to do that, you need to change your environment. And that means moving away from them. How you respond to your environment, of course, is important as well. As you go through a work day, you may be confronted with temptations. A perfect example of that is if there's a birthday party at work and people bring cake and this, that, and the other thing, how you respond to that, how you set yourself up is very important. It's very important. It's just a small example, but it's an example nonetheless. So when they're handing around cake and they're asking everybody if they want cake, you can very easily say no. Most people say yes, even if they don't want it because they feel bad because they don't want to be the one person who's not celebrating Frankie's birthday or whatever the reason, but you can say no. Like, it's actually easier than saying yes because it's one less letter. No. How you respond is important. More important is making those moment-to-moment decisions. What you don't realize is whenever you do give in the one or two times, and then you do it again the next day two or three times, and then you do it again the day after that three or four times, that you're reinforcing the person you're trying to overcome. You're reinforcing the old you, the non-disciplined you that you're trying to overcome. You have to make decisions regularly. And then if you do screw up, nope, When you do screw up, because you will, you're a human, I'm a human, we're all humans, we're not going to be the first perfect human, I hate to tell you. So when you screw up, admit it, and then move forward. Admit it, and then forget it. Because you can't beat yourself up about it, because beating yourself up is also reinforcing the old non-disciplined you. Okay? So your environments, you have to set your environment and you have to respond to it effectively. And last but not least, the most important, the most important, the most important part of this is your mindset about what's possible. Your mindset about what's possible. What's possible and how you respond to what's possible. Both very important. So we already talked about ego depletion and glucose depletion and how when you believe that your self-discipline drains throughout the day, that that's what's going to happen. And when you don't believe that, that it's not going to happen. We already talked about that. But this has shown itself over and over and over again. I did an interview with David Robson. He wrote a book called The Expectation Effect. The whole book is about how your mindset and your expectations dictate your life. They dictate What happens to you when you take medicines? If you believe a medicine is going to work, it'll work. If you don't believe it's going to work, it might not work. They dictate whether or not a placebo works. You can be given a sugar pill that has nothing, no stimulant, no nothing in it. And you can be told that it's a pain pill. And if you believe it's going to work, it's going to work. It's going to work. You can be given, you can be told, you can, sorry, I'm like, (laughs) 
I got so many things going through my head. I'm trying to get one of them out. Uh, the nocebo effect is the opposite of that. If, for instance, you're diagnosed with cancer and a doctor tells you that you have six months to live and you get sad and depressed, then you will live for six months or less. However, if the doctor doesn't tell you that and instead they say, hey, you got a good chance, a lot, 30% of people in your situation live up to six years. Guess what? You have a much better chance of living up to six years. So what you're told, what you believe, what you end up believing has a huge impact on what happens. So you have to believe that you're capable of doing it. You have to believe that you're capable of developing discipline. You have to believe that you're capable of overcoming temptations. You have to believe that you're capable of making the choices that you need to make in order to become your best self. If you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. So that is up to you. You have to believe it. And then how you respond to what happens in your mind matters as well. Because there will be times, like I said, you're human, I'm a human, we're not going to be the first perfect human beings. There have been many other people on this earth that have much better morals and values than you and definitely myself. So I know I'm not even close. So there will be times when you and I both screw up. And we both do things that aren't moving us toward our goal, William, and they're not moving us toward being a self-disciplined person and all these other things. It's going to happen. So when that happens, you cannot beat yourself up in your mind. You cannot say, well, I guess I just can't do it. Well, I guess it, it's just not possible. Well, I guess it's just not me. Well, I'm a screw up. Well, uh, here I go again. I'm a dummy. I'm a, I, you know, whatever other cuss words and this, that, and the other thing you might say to yourself. Because, number one, it's not true. And because, number two, when you do that, you're reinforcing the old you that you're trying to overcome. This, is one, this was one of the hardest things for me, to be totally honest. And I still do it somewhat regularly to this day. But I find myself, from time to time, when dumb things happen that would have normally set me off and set me down a spiral... <laughs> I was telling the team this yesterday, I think, at our team meeting. I find myself, when those things happen... Like, my mind wants to get upset about it. My mind wants to get upset about it. But it's weird, like, I have this weird feeling like I don't really care that much. There's, like, one part of my mind over here that's like, oh, you should be upset. And then, like, most of my mind, my brain's like, no, man, that's dumb. Like, it's not that important. So, like, <laughs> there's, like, two parts of me, like, tugging at each other. But the one side I've worked on that's gone, that's like, no, that's dumb. It's not that important. Luckily, it's stronger now. That's not to say that there aren't times where this other side wins and it's like, hey, I'm going to yank you as, like, I win today. Like, I did extra deadlifts, so I'm strong. Um, anyway, another rabbit hole. But, like, you got to work on it. You got to build it. You got to maintain it, and you got to keep going. And when you slip up, you got to let it go, and you got to move forward. Because when you beat yourself up, you you – you let the bad wolf win. You let that bad wolf win. So you got to let, make your lows higher and your highs higher. And it takes time. And that's what we're talking about with self-discipline. And that's how self-discipline can build that tranquility in you and build that happiness and make you fulfilled. Because you become the kind of person 
who can overcome the stupid temptations and the stupid things that happen that we get worked over and the stupid things that we convince ourselves out of because we make up in our minds that this is this terrible thing's going to happen and then it never actually happens. That's what it's like being a self-disciplined person. So go back and listen to this because I think there were a couple of good nuggets in there. Make sure that you share with their friends so they can build the self-discipline too and you don't have to kick them to the curb. If you want new friends, go jump on Good Wolf Community. And until next time, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.